I remember, I remember exactly when it happened and right afterwards I went to the bathroom and I locked the door and I turned on the faucet so that he wouldn't hear me cry. And I just, I just slid down that door crying and asking myself kind of the proverbial question of like, is this love? Is this really love? If this is love, why am I in the, bath why am I in the bathroom crying? You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing help, hope, healing, and humor for people walking through pain. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll-Thompson. Hi, my name is Colleen Swindoll-Thompson, and I want to welcome you to the Reframing Ministries podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an honor to have your time. Um, I want to ask you, do you ever feel like you have to be perfect to fit in, or that your kids may have to be perfect. Car, houses, finances. What defines having it all? Today, that's what we're gonna be talking about with my guest, who I'm so thrilled to introduce you to, Leah Darrow. Leah, thank you for being with me today. Oh, you bet, absolutely. Leah was on America's Top Model years ago and had quite an experience that we're gonna talk about and um, has written a book that I think is incredibly powerful for all of us to read and to internalize. One of the things the book says is a former model and contestant on Cycle 3 of America's Top Model, she has a driving passion to inspire women to do something beautiful with their lives. An inspirational speaker, writer, and host of Do Something Beautiful podcast, a wife of U.S. Army Green Beret and mom to when you wrote it, three, now four, marvelous, crazy little kids. Um, you can find Leah's information on her page as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and I can put those in the notes following. Leah, what led you to write this book? Well, I think, you know, as many things that we do in ministry are, you know, God starts writing it a long time before we start actually putting pen to paper in this case. And, you know, I was always drawn as a kid to beauty. And when I say that, I mean, I, I'm really not referring to the physical and, and materialistic side of it, but I, I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma and I was really drawn to just the beauty of the outdoors, the sunrises and sunsets and the huge fields and the pastures. And, and I remember really connecting that with God, like that piece of beauty hmm. around me. And I, and I do believe that that's a grace. It wasn't just cause you know, I was smart cause I wasn't, but um, <laughs> that's just God kind of speaking to me through his creation. Hmm. And, and, you know, I, I can look back and I can see that now. And, you know, my story is, is not unfamiliar to, I think, many people out there. I was, I was born and raised with wonderful parents who loved Jesus and spoke about him often, very often, very active in our church community. And so I had that great background, but along high school, it, it, things began to derail for me. And it, through that process of kind of derailing and then not feeling like I had a, a place in church anymore. Mm. Um, I didn't think I was good enough anymore. My idea and that, 
that kind of dialogue that I had with God in the very beginning when I was a little girl and connecting it to all the different attributes of God, one of them being beauty, that began to be very distorted. Mm. And the enemy began to whisper those lies uh, that I wasn't good enough. Mm. And then from there, it was, look what the world can offer you. And then the world's idea of beauty, the world's idea of identity, value, worth, success, you name it. Mm. And I began to go down that path. And I obviously had a turning point from there and came back to God. But, you know, why I wrote the book or how it was kind of all coming together is just this it's very cyclical process, you know, it just, uh, it's just God kind of coming, pulling everything together and me at the end of everything, uh, realizing that God is beauty, Hmm. that when we desire beauty in our life for ourselves and others, what we're really desiring is God for ourselves and God for others. And that's, that's at the heart of the book. That's the main message of the book. And it's, that's why, that's why it's called the other side of beauty. We're all very familiar with beauty in the world and what beauty is being offered to us, regardless if it's real or not. But there is a, but, but true authentic beauty is something that awaits us that that is beyond, um, beyond the, the material world. And it goes into the eternal. Hmm. You know, it's it's one thing to say it's surround, we're surrounded by beauty and God's beauty. It's another thing to live in it. And in a time where um, Facebook and social media have so much out there where everyone appears so beautiful. In fact, one of the stories I came across was from the UK uh, study, a young guy who developed um, what the Diagnostic Statistical Manual for Doctors used, the DSM-5, which was recently resi- revised, um, he developed this body dysmorphic disorder, which is an incorrect evaluation of how we appear. At age 14 and took 200 selfies a day, he eventually dropped out of school and tried to take his own life. And the whole desire for perfection took over him. How can we fight that when we see so much in front of us, advertisements on TV and commercials and the Internet? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking when you're seeing that this disordered beauty mm-hmm. uh, of how everything appears. And it's not just, you know, I think we need to kind of try to uh, – understand that we're not just talking about beauty in terms of the beauty industry where it's makeup and clothing. The beauty is used in every aspect of marketing on every single element out there. So it's how, not just how someone looks, but it's their lifestyle. It's their life. It's their relationship, how they speak, how they appear, how they, I mean, of course, and then it goes down to some of the more obvious things, uh, you know, how they look and what type of clothes they wear and all of the other material aspects of it. But beauty has been distorted on every aspect. Mm -hmm. And that is once again, because beauty is an attribute of God. And so the enemy of God um, will distort that in every possible way for us. So one of the first things to do, I I really think is to realize to, in a sense, know your enemy. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a plan for our lives. God has a plan for our lives, but the enemy has a plan for our lives too. And we have to be aware and have enough self-awareness or try to uh, learn how to do that more in our lives so that we have this awareness of the influences of what's going on, what is influencing our life. And the fact is, is that we have to be very careful of who we follow, 
literally and figuratively in our life, on social media, in our day-to-day lives, the people in our life, at work, at home, all of it. Who are we following? Because who we follow, who we allow to enter into our life or to speak into our life will affect us. And so especially when it comes to social media, there are so many of us, especially in, in the area in the group of young adults, um, where they are following people that are not breathing life into their life. They are following people who don't love them, who don't care about them, and who are not themselves following Jesus Christ. Hmm. That is a problem. And if we call ourselves followers of Christ, we need to make sure that the people in our life, uh, the ones that we are allowing to influence us, have the same end goal which is Christ and heaven. And so if that's not the end goal of the people who are influencing your life, we should really reevaluate what's going on. And as parents need to be taking a more active role in our children's lives, um, in particular about who they follow and who they are imitating. Because if we're not imitating Christ, we're imitating the world. And that's a no-go for Christians. You know, I, I loved the four points that you made when you said there were four main things keeping me from living the life that I was born to live. One was fear. The second was noise or a lack of silence. The third was pride. And the fourth was doubt. And in the book, you write this incredible thing, which goes back to the enemy. Um, you said, in the face of the 20th century, 20th century distractions, there was a German-French artist who observed that man has turned him his back on silence. Day after day, he invents machines and devices that increase noise and distract humanity from the essence of life, contemplation, and meditation. And in fact, C.S. Lewis in his work, Screwtape Letters, reveals how easy it is to get humans to forget their true identity, their worth in God and from God. In it, Screwtape, or the senior devil, who is mentoring his devil nephew, Wormwood, offers guidance on how best to make sure we do that, and that is to preoccupy us with what is beautiful, what our identities are rooted in, and what we are worth so much more than what the world says that we are. Now, there's a huge tension in that because the world's voice is loud— And we are so distracted by cell phones, digital stuff. And I'm not blaming those things. They're very wonderful when used appropriately. But how do we balance that out? How do we observe triggers? Because you also mentioned triggers in your book. Right. Yeah. I mean, I would just go to your calendar. My first, I mean, the most practical thing you can do is just look back on the past couple days of your life. Um, Look what was in your calendar. If you have like a more detailed calendar, literally by almost by minute by minute, which some people actually do, look to see where your time is spent. Uh, Where your time is spent is where your heart is a lot of times. Hmm. And so where is that? Have we allowed a space in our life where there is silence? Have we allowed a time where there is silence and it's focused in on our Savior? Uh, the mornings are always the best time for that before, before we get up and get going. I mean, God has given us good work to do good, holy work. That's wonderful and helps others and, and, and aids in humanity. And that is a good thing to be busy for in, in, in God's work. But God also realizes that we are a piece of work too, that Mm -hmm. he wants to spend time with and that he wants to 
speak and breathe life into us and opening up the word and reading scripture and being able to sit and just sit with it, sit in a little bit of silence. And if it's uncomfortable beginning, that's okay. Probably it's uncomfortable because we don't have enough of it in our life. And usually when things are silent, when things are quiet, we get nervous and we pick up our phone. I mean, so I true. Was, it's, I've been in elevators at hotels and it's like, you're only silent, silent and quiet in this little box of an elevator with a stranger for just a few seconds. But everybody's like, can he, cannot even handle being in an elevator for, for 90 seconds. They have to pick up their phone and look at it, even if they're not getting signal in the elevator because they just can't sit still. Hmm. And so I think it's just, once again, having some self-awareness is the first step of really anything. Self-awareness of like, okay, where is my time spent each day? What can I, what can I do to create margin in my life mm. that I can give that back to God out of gratitude, thankfulness, or out of true need? We all need that. We all need to spend time with the one who created us. And so one of the ways to kind of help battle all of the noise in the world, and C.S. Lewis talks about that in that book that you mentioned, The Screw Tape Letters, how the two devils, as they're talking, in the end that they said that hell, that the sound of hell is actually noise. Mm. And so if the sound of hell is noise, what is the sound of heaven? It, I mean, I would venture a quick guess that it's got to be the most perfect, complete, joyful silence with Christ. And maybe not silence like what we're thinking of, like of literally like no audible sound, but a peace that comes from that silence of being with the one who has and is everything. And so we need to cultivate that, a piece of that here on earth. Otherwise, I think we're going to be pretty bored in heaven. <laughs> so <laughs> if, we're, if, if our aim is to go to heaven, we might want to kind of bring, uh, ask God for a piece of that here and just to create some silence. Another thing, a quick thing to do is, you know, maybe turn off the radio when you're in the car. Allow silence to be there. Allow silence to be in there, especially when you're taking your kids places. Allow there, allow a, a space for conversation to happen, for us to start thinking about our day and what we've said or what we've done or what we're going to say or what we're going to do and how best to do it in light of being a Christian. That's so interesting because even driving over here to come and do this podcast, I went to go turn on, turn on the radio and I'm like, what am I doing? I am getting ready to talk to someone that that's going to share a story of our value in God. And I'm turning on the radio. I need to pray and pray for all of those who are listening right now to make better choices, to choose to quiet down our world. How does that happen? You have four kids. I have three, one with disabilities. Finding time for silence is challenging. So how do you find that time? Amen. Yeah, amen. It, it is hard. Uh, it's not supposed to be easy. So if it's hard, then I think we're in a good spot. <laughs> um, there are moments, obviously, when things are a little bit easier than others. It doesn't always have to be very difficult. However, I find for me that if I can wake up before my kids wake up, I am able to get in a little bit of time where I can quiet myself. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. I know throughout my day, too, I... I use what God's given me in my life. The fact that God's have blessed me with four kids. I, I, I use those beautiful blessings he's given me as a, as a blessing of prayer, get to give back to God. So when I, when I'm with my kids, I try to be fully present. I put my phone down and I say, Lord, this is my prayer. I am giving you, I'm, I'm, I'm praising you, Lord Jesus, for, for the gift of family, for the gift of life, 
for these kids. And so to do that, I'm going to be fully present to my children. Which I totally love hearing them in the background right now. Yes, there's no way I can get around it. I so, that that is our lives. I get that. It is. It's a beautiful, loud, joyful, chaotic life. And, but there is pockets there where we can, where we can do that. So if it's changing the diaper, I said, Lord, I changed this diaper for you. Hmm. Thank you for giving me the ability to change that diaper. Because I know right now there is a mother out there who is mourning her baby who just died and is changing no more diapers. And so prayer is beautiful because it can be so many different things. It can be the quietness that we do need. We must put silence into our lives without a doubt. We cannot go without that. But prayer also can be cultivated within within the sound, within the noise of the day, as we quiet our hearts and quiet our mind and to let go and let God love us for who we are and not who we're trying to be in that moment. I think that's just a profound statement that you just said. Thank you, Lord, that I can change my baby's diaper because I know there are those who have lost their children. I know with my own son and his disabilities, there have been days, days and days and days where we're inside. And it's been there's the opportunity I haven't always chosen well, but the opportunity to say, Lord, thank you so much that I can help Jonathan with the brace that he's wearing on his back. Because in some countries, they don't have a brace for a broken back. Or thank you, Lord. We turn, it's reframing, actually. We turn the things that frustrate us into something that turns into worship, which isn't that what David did through the Psalms. He would be so frustrated with something, and then he would let that out to the Lord and then say, but I worship you, Lord. I'm choosing to to worship you and to follow you in every way. Amen. Absolutely. That's that's exactly what it is. And David was bold enough to be able to give that to God. He gave God his his frustrations, as you said. And as, as, as as you read, Psalm after Psalm, it goes, frustration, worship, frustration, worship. And he always goes back and thanking God for who is all good and all knowing. And so that's, that's us. That's our life. It's frustrating and it's chaotic at times, but God is good and he never abandons us. He's always there. Even in the, in the hardest times, I have found many people, myself included, say, um, I feel like God isn't hearing me. I feel very alone because my prayers have been for him to answer a certain way rather than to worship him and watch him unfold what plan he has for us. And so the frustration often is cultivated from my own prayer rather than saying, answer it this way, Lord. It's, Lord, how would you have me handle this situation wisely? For example, one of the points that I thought was incredibly significant in your book is believing a significant lie that your body was an object to be used, a means to getting certain ends, and you used it professionally to get further in your career and privately to feel loved. Talk to me a little bit about that because so many of us think, oh, well, if I have the perfect body, then I'll be accepted. Well, if I look a certain way, then I'll be loved. Mm, yeah, we do. That lie has been uh, well used over and over and over by the enemy, and it's affected countless, mm. countless people. Uh, most of my ministry is targeted towards young adult women, and so this is the number one issue. Really, the number one issue that I that I receive from the women who I speak with, who contact me, uh, who send me emails, you name it. It's this aspect. And 
you know, women are, you know, you know we are smart. We, we, we know our body can get attention in a certain way if we use it in a certain ma- manner. And there's just been this misunderstanding and there's been a severe lack of knowing our worth in Christ Jesus. And because of that, we still want worth. We have a need for it, which is why, you know, it's there so God can fill that, right? But, uh, but we did that. And, and for me, it was no different. I had the same problem, unfortunately, as well. It happened to me when I was around 15 is when things began to very much uh, kind of spiral out of control. At 15 is when um, I lost my virginity. And I know I can pinpoint that point because I remember I remember exactly when it happened. And right afterwards, I went to the bathroom and I locked the door and I turned on the faucet so that he wouldn't hear me cry. Mm. And I just, I just slid down that door crying and asking myself kind of the proverbial question of like, is this love? Is this really love? If this is love, why am I in the, bath- why am I in the bathroom crying? If this is love, why am I not proud of it and telling everybody? Why does it have to be a secret? Why can I not tell my parents? It isn't love, isn't real authentic love supposed to be so joyful that you're proud and you're, you're excited about it and you want to share it with the world. But yet this is not it. This is something where I have to, like I said, hide it with secrets and secrets are never a part of God's plan. Um, it's just, God is always truthful and he's always honest and sincere. And so I was living in that. And I, unfortunately in that moment, I made a terrible, terrible decision outside of the poor decision of giving myself away in order to be loved by another human man. The second worst thing, or maybe even worse than the first, to be honest with you, because I thought I was not worthy of forgiveness. I thought I screwed up so bad, so bad that there's no way God could forgive me. There's no way that everybody else could be forgiven, but not me. And I did not believe. And I doubted in the mercy, the transformational mercy of Jesus Christ. And when you live in a space like that, when you live believing that you're not worthy of forgiveness, it's very easy to make decisions with your body, with your life, with your plan that do not reflect a Christ-centered um, faith or, or, or just life in general. And so I was not Christ-centered. I was, I was me-centered from that point on. I didn't think I was worthy. I believed in the lie that I was not worthy of the mercy of Christ. And so I lived in the space for the next 10 years of my life, uh, making decisions, choosing relationships, choosing a career based in the fact that I had to just live as the, what of, of what the world offered me because what God offered was not available to me anymore. For all the parents listening right now, I just want to give a word of encouragement because I know there are some who have children who are or young adults who are choosing what you chose to go down a path that ended in darkness. Um, what what helped you come out of that phase? What did your folks do that was of benefit and helpful? And what did they do that was not helpful? They prayed. My parents prayed for me. Um, they prayed consistently all the time, and they asked other people to pray for me. I did not know that at the time. I found that out years later, but I do believe in the power of prayer, mm. as we should. And uh, I think that's a big thing that helped that I did not know about. One thing that they did that did help that I was aware of uh, is that they stayed in communication with me. That's fantastic. Me. Fantastic. Yep. Yeah, my mom called me almost every day, or I called my mom, and uh, she did not agree with my lifestyle. 
I, w- I was making very poor choices, very, very poor choices. But she that, loved you. That's right. She loved me. She did not love my sin. She loved me. And she made that very clear though as well. She, I would say something and, and uh, she'd be like, Leah, I, you know, no, I, I don't think you should do do that. That's not how we ra- raised you. That's not what, that's not in line with, with, with our belief in God. And I would listen to her and I'd say, okay. And then I would go and make the decision. And once I made that decision, it was pretty much over. She didn't bring it up again, but she still stayed in contact with me. And I think that's one of the, one of the things that I can tell every parent out there is please don't cut out your kids just because they're, they're doing things that you don't agree with. Uh, because my parents stayed in contact with me and my mom always took my phone calls and we would talk about anything else. I mean, she didn't agree with a lot of my lifestyle choices. That's true. Uh, I don't see how she could now me being a parent. I definitely understand how that was very difficult for her, but she still stayed in contact with me and we would talk about pretty much anything else except for like the, the glaring, um, frustration of my life that I was causing basically myself. Um, but that communication allowed it to open up to a place where when I did come, when, when I did need help and when I decided to come back home and to call home, mm-hmm. my parents were there and they picked up and it was easy for me to make the call home because I had already had that relationship established and I didn't feel bad about saying, I need help. I need help. One thing I think is really important for parents also to realize in the developmental process psychologically that that between ages two and three, and then in the teenage years, and then in the young adult years, 20 to 24, there's something called individuation, where the young adult or the child is making decisions or learning how to make decisions on their own. And it's not a reflection of the parents. It's the child trying to figure out, am I safe enough to, to be successful or to fail and still be loved by you? And that, I think, is the common denominator of those who go through individuation. There's turmoil at home. Parents are frustrated. And yet they still stay in contact, like you said, with your mom. So when you hit the end of the road, you knew, I'm going to be safe because my mom's going to understand because we've been in contact this whole time. Yeah, absolutely. With Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And I'm just... Oh, to this day, I, 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 I praise God so much for what my mom hmm. and my dad, but especially my mom did during those years hmm. of loving me and being kind and just being her normal, wonderful self hmm. and taking my phone calls because I just don't know what I would have done when I got to the end of my line there at the very end. And if I didn't know who to call, I, I just... I don't even want to think about it. I don't even know, but I'm just so glad that that wasn't the case for me. So talk to the parent who has kind of pushed their kid away or said, you know, don't talk to us until you get your life straightened out, which is just not going to work, by the way, parents. Talk to the parent who wants to now say, I've been doing this wrong. How can I make this better? I think what you just said was perfect. I think they should call their their child and say that. Hmm. I think you should call and say that. I think you should call and just say, I love you. And I, I thought what I was doing would be helpful because I love you. And what I did was out of love. I see that that's, that's not working. And that's not really what I want. What I want is you. What I want is I want you to let me love you. Hmm. I don't always love your life. I don't love the choices that you make. 
And I know you know that. And as long as we're on the same page there, but I want you to know that I love you and I want to be there for you. And I think being honest and direct and forthright is so incredibly effective. And there's, there's just going to be a really beautiful space. I think afterwards that will happen where that child is going to, you know, at least they're going to take it in and it's, I don't know how they'll really respond, but hopefully they take it in and just sit there and think about that. And if anything, you have just shown an example of what to do when you've done something wrong. And hopefully for your kid who you think, or might very well be doing something wrong, you've just shown them a path of what to do to make it right. You go, you say, you're sorry, you apologize. Is that not what we do to Christ when we, mm-hmm. when we, when, 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 when we fall, we get up, we go to Christ, we say, we're sorry. And he renews us and we start again. Apology is so powerful. I mean, I've had to go back to my own children as young adults and apologize as recently as last week and say, you know, I blew it. I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And I'm really going to work on this. And I think for parents to begin working on themselves instead of trying to change the young adult or child in the process is an incredibly powerful tool because then parents realize you know, I have some things in my own life. Maybe I've used my children as a representation of myself. Maybe because I wasn't the pro athlete, I've been pushing my kid to be the pro athlete. Or because my I felt ugly, I want my daughter to be beautiful and put her in all these pageants or whatever you call it. You know, just parents, we've got to continue growing just like we want our kids to grow. Now, something that you have in the book that I find f- totally fascinating is the neuroscience behind what we say to ourselves. And you talk about, in fact, you cited a book, Words Can Change Your Brain. And in it, it says, a single word has the power to influence the expression of genes that regulate physical and emotional stress. Positive words such as peace and love can alter the expression of genes, strengthening areas of the frontal lobes and promoting the brain's cognitive functions. They propel the motivational centers of the brain into action, according to these authors, and they also build resiliency. Conversely, hostile language can disrupt specific genes that play a key part in the production of neurochemicals in us that protect us from stress. Functions in the parietal lobe start to change, which changes your perception of yourself and the people that you interact with. A positive view of yourself will bias you towards seeing the good in others, whereas a negative self-image will include you towards suspicion and doubt. Over time, the structure of your thalamus, which is part of the brain, will also change in response to your conscious words, thoughts, feelings, and we believe that the changes affected will change the way you perceive reality. Okay, that's the brainy part. The reality is what our words say matter to us, not just as we hear them. In fact, it says sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can change my brain is the way this article started out by Dr. Andrew Newman and Mark Robert. What words, Leah, did you start using to change your cognitive thought process from I can be used up, I'm lovable if I give my body, to I'm valuable, I'm treasured, I'm worth being loved well. Yeah, there was a lot of words that I had been used, I I was using um, in my past life that were 
allowing me to kind of continue in that path of darkness. And, and, and just like you said, it was just, I feel like I had to be perfect. Uh, perfect was definitely one of those words. Mm. Um, and of course it also like the word, um, love and beauty was in there too, but it was, it had a distorted meaning. I had redefined love and redefined beauty to fit my lifestyle. Mm. So beauty was really based on having the perfect body, um, the perfect hair, perfect makeup, perfect teeth. A pimple would just like crush me. I mean, like that sounds ridiculous, but it would. I mean, that would, that, that would, that would affect my day uh, if I was looked at and people were just looking at that and, and rather than me. Mm. But the words that after I had my moment of really accepting Christ and coming back to that place where like, no, I am worth this. I am worth him because he said so. Uh, I began to really rely on a few key words, and that was mercy, Hmm. that God is merciful, um, that I am redeemed. Redeemed was a good word, and restoration. Like I, God is restoring me. He is restoring me. I am redeemed, um, and God is mercy and and has given me mercy. And I am not my past. I am not my sins. I am who Christ says I am. And that is a redeemed daughter of the Most High God. Which is what we find in Scripture alone. It's not going to come in society. No, absolutely. Absolutely. If you, I mean, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) Uh, yes, I I have looked far and wide in the world for those types of affirmations, for that type of truth. And that does not come in the world. That comes from God himself who speaks to us in scripture. And that is where we have to spend our time. Once again, the time and the silence within the word of truth, within the word of the word who is love, the word who is beauty, Jesus himself, the word of God. And so spending time in scripture is how we can reframe um, that inner voice in our head that maybe we have allowed to be, uh, to have it being dictated by the world. And we can turn that off and turn on the voice of God. Which is so critical because I know that those who have a traumatic past or who have had abusive histories, the most important thing is to, not the most important thing, one of the healing processes is to speak truth into our lives. I am valued. I am made by God. I am made in His image. He doesn't make mistakes. In fact, in Psalms, where He constantly repeats, your love is everlasting. My love for you is everlasting. My love for you is everlasting. There's no way that we can ever, ever, ever get away from how much He loves us. And when we start to believe that and realize that human love is going to fail us, then it changes our perspective. It also changes the choices that we make. So what brought you to the very end? You said for 10 years, I was living in a lifestyle that my parents didn't approve of and that I know the Lord didn't approve of. What was the tipping point for you? Yeah, that, you know, as a lot of times what God does, it came as a surprise. I mean, I had growing frustration in my life. I had growing unsatisfaction. Um, I wasn't happy. I, I was, I was pretending, pretending a lot, actually. I mean, I was pretending to be happy, pretending to be okay with my lifestyle, pretending to be okay with giving my body away, uh, when I wasn't, um, but it got to a point where, yeah, yeah, something definitely did break and it happened. Uh, I was, I was actually, uh, invited to, um, 
uh, be a model for this international magazine and to do um, a photo shoot with him. And it was supposed to be really big and it was going to be international, obviously. So it was going to go all over and it was supposed to really help my career. And so I agreed to do it. And it was in the middle of that photo shoot when things began to uh, really unravel as God likes to to use. He kind of sometimes uses a spiritual two by four. And he definitely <laughs> did that with me. Um, sometimes it's a four by eight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All depends on what, what we need at the time. Exactly. And uh, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it, but it was, I was, I was in the shoot and I was not comfortable. I was not comfortable modeling the outfit that I was modeling. It was very immodest and I didn't, I, I, I could clearly feel like I was being used. Mm. Uh, my, my body and my image was being used and it was just actually really horrible. And uh, I just told myself, it'll be over with soon. Just, it'll be over with soon. And what a terrible statement really to say when you're in the middle of something. And for the record, for anybody listening, if you say that to yourself once, get up and leave, hmm. get out of that situation immediately, because soon is not soon enough. You just, you got to get out of that. And, uh, I was not strong enough to do it at that time. And so God did it for me. Hmm. Uh, photographer was taking picture after picture and, uh, he had, we had stopped or kind of reset the photo shoot and change positions. And so he took a Polaroid to uh, check out the lighting. They showed me that to make sure my, my quote, uh, my, my my poise was 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 good, and so I got into position again, and we started up the shoot. And in the first shot that came off from the photographer, I looked straight into the flash. I did not mean to; it's a rookie move, but I did. And uh, it, I held up my finger so I could just kind of blink and regain my focus. And in that process of blinking and regaining my focus, it was like a little movie was playing inside my head. And I saw this image of myself wearing the outfit that I was modeling. And I didn't think anything of it because I just seen the Polaroid of myself. So, I mean, I just thought, okay, that's fine, whatever. But I did notice, I did notice I had my hands cupped at my waist and then I raised them all the way up. Hmm. And then I saw a shadowy profile of a man's face and nothing else than that, just a profile of a man's face who looked at my hands and then bowed his head in disappointment. And I pulled my hands back down to, to my waist to see what was inside them. And they were completely empty, mm. which was the same feeling in my heart and in my life. I was just empty. I was just so empty. And then I heard five words um, that changed my life at, at that point, obviously, and still do to this day. I heard, I made you for more. And uh, I, re I remember shaking my head and, and tears welling up pretty quickly. And I remember hearing it again, I made you for more. I made you for more. And I, uh, I just, I couldn't shake that. That was something that I knew wasn't coming from me. And I just, there was a, there was a strength and a truth about it that I couldn't deny. And so I got up and I went straight over to the wardrobe area and I took off the clothes and I put on mine and everybody's asking questions and what, like, Leah, 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 what, what, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have to leave. I just have to leave. And I got to the door and at this point, the photographer had been saying a lot of different things to get me to stay. I was ignoring them and walking to the door. And the last thing he said, he says, you know, if, if, if you leave, you'll be a nobody. <laughs> and, uh, you're like, I that's just turned, fine. I am. Yeah, a I turned somebody. and looked at him and I just said, um, you know, do you promise? And, um, it was the first time in 10 years that I really wanted to be a nobody to the world. 
And I had tried so hard to be somebody, to be somebody to the world, to be validated for my worth, my identity to be, to be told to me rather than going to God, the father and seeing my worth in him, that I don't have to be anything that God doesn't want to Photoshop me, that God doesn't want to want to like, you know, change this and change that. He just accepts me for who I am. And he wants me to be the best version of myself, but he accepts me because he made me. Mm. And, uh, I walked out and that was the beginning of me really turning my heart to Christ. And I remember just walking home and in tears and I just thought, okay, God, okay. I've tried it my way for 10 years. It's your turn. I'm giving you a turn now. Like I, I need help. And I, and I, it's very clear that you're the only one who can help me, God. So, uh, so my heart began to open and I allowed Christ in at that moment. The fact that he showed up and reminded you, you're made for more, you're made for more, you're made for more. I mean, that came from him. And I think we don't give enough credit to what our gut talks to us about. You know, our gut will clue us in at times, like, this isn't quite right. And if you are listening right now, and you are feeling that, what Leah just said, get up, leave, flee. And go back to the one who will love you more than anyone can or will on this earth, which is Christ. Um, one of the things that I love in your book that you put is the history um, of how beauty was looked at by Thomas Aquinas. The definition of beauty that means more than just sensual pleasure like taste or touch is better translated from the Latin as a delight for the soul. Great I love that part, a delight for the soul. Greek philosophers identify three qualities that are found in everything that is beautiful, integrity, proportion, and clarity. And I love that you talked about these three things, integrity meaning wholeness, being unified and complete, proportion from the ancient Greek philosophers where they said the golden ratio, and of course that is a physical as well as a person's life balance. Um, when I was preparing for this, there was a site on how to be beautiful on the inside, but everything that they showed was beauty on the outside. How to measure your face so you contour it right for your makeup. And I'm like, okay, so if there's proportion, does that mean I'm beautiful? Because I didn't fit any of them. I even tried it. <laughs> but then the third is clarity, which is radiance or splendor. How have those three things really helped you heal from a past of depending on physical beauty to integrated beauty? Yeah, and I, I think what you the, those last two words are so important, integrated beauty. Um, understanding what scripture says about beauty, understanding what, what even the philosophers said about beauty. Uh, and you take a look at the whole world, not just the human person, but the whole world and all that God has done and the beauty of the world, the created beauty, the beauty obviously in his you know, image and likeness in the human person is so, so important. And I think understanding beauty as not just something physical or materialistic has been incredibly important for me personally to kind of uh, rewire myself to see what does God say about beauty? Mm. Like, like what is this going on? And when you understand beauty in this bigger sense, and you can take all of the beautiful things in the world that have kind of spoken to beauty in the philosophers and in the scripture as well, and you can put it together, you can kind of see a more holistic view. And that's why we can look at something 
that might not be physically beautiful to the world, but we can look at that and say, that is beautiful. That is beautiful. And there's something tangible almost about it that we know. And, and so for me, it's healed so much within my heart, the brokenness within me to, to remind me that it does not matter if there's gray hair. It does not matter if there are wrinkles. In fact, those things are also beautiful that my, my worth is not dependent upon the outward appearance, but on the appearance of my soul. Am I doing things in the world to make, to strengthen my soul in the sense to, to expand its, lo- its capacity for love and mercy and beauty for God himself, really? And too much time we spend on the physical aspects of ourselves, of our bodies, of how we look. What about our soul? What, what, what about our conscience where God resides and speaks to? Hmm. Are we spending time on, on creating a space for God to live there and to speak clearly there? Hmm. And those things have really helped me in my, in my search and study in beauty. And that continues on in life. And again, I kind of got down to the very end of, for me, how I define beauty is that beauty is wholeness and holiness. Hmm. So integration, being the same on the inside and the out. In fact, one of the things I'm going to mention right now, because most podcasts, they want the sound to be perfect. And I love hearing your children's voices in the background because it's the very example of, thank you, Lord, that my children are Verbal, because I know as a mother of a child that has autism, some may never hear their voices. And I worried for years that I would never hear Jonathan speak. And just that alone is so beautiful. And it's something to worship and say, thank you, Lord, that you've given Leah these four children that can speak and she can hear their voices. What a gift is that? It is. Amen. It is a gift. And that's, that's, I mean, that's what we've been kind of talking about in and out throughout this time together. I mean, this is life. Life is not perfect. Uh, that awaits us on the other side with, with the Lord. But for right now, we have to, we have to find the joy. We have to, um, offer it up, give it to the Lord for all the pieces that might be a little crazy, a little loud, a little almost in our sense that sometimes we think that they're in the way, but God is using all of it. He's using everything good for his good. And and it's kind of just this surrender, the surrender to Christ in our life, in the mess, in the chaos, in the times where it's quiet, in the times when it's loud, in the times when we understand, in the times where we have no idea what's going on, and in the confusion and in the suffering and the brokenness, God is present and he is there and he will make good out of all of it. And maybe we need to reframe that in the way to um, what part of this is God talking to me about? How am I in the way or my expectations in the way of fully being present in this moment or of fully enjoying and delighting in my child, even though that can be really, really trying at times? Leah, I could talk to you forever, but I just, I really want to encourage people to look at your book because because of all of this and more, but you have appendix at the back that are so fantastic. One of them is Leah's Modesty Guidelines, and that could sound like a turnoff, but if you read it, it is so balanced. And in fact, I love the um, quote that you give. Your dresses should be tight enough to show you're a woman and loose enough to show you're a lady. I think that's just absolutely beautiful. But the other one is the Closet Challenge, where you... 
you and a friend decided on what seven items that you would wear for a month? That's right. We picked out seven items and we wore only those seven items for 30 days for, for a month. And that there's, there's some caveats in that. You can read that in the back of the book. But yes, we decided that we wanted to kind of allow God to speak into our life when it was very simple. And God loves simplicity, you know? So um, we decided to make our lives a little bit more simple. And so we decided to um, forego all of the options of clothing. A lot of times us ladies will go to our closet and it is chock full of clothes and we'll stand there and we say we have nothing to wear. (laughs) (laughs) And so so uh, I just wanted to figure out what was behind that. And so my friend and I decided to do it together. We did it on social media. A lot of women joined in on it. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it was really beautiful, even though it was difficult to admit of how attached I was to my idea of beauty or worth or value being connected to what I wore. Hmm. And so I was able, God was able to point that out to me and help me kind of slowly detach from those material things. And that's of course still a process, but yeah, so you can check that out, the closet challenge, and that's in the back of the book with all of the details in it. And I totally love that you say that shoes and accessories are still okay. <laughs> oh yeah, those don't count. And of course, gym clothes don't count, but you can't wear your gym clothes all all, all day long. That yeah. was the one thing. We're like, okay, you can't, no, we can't do that. You need to take them off when you're done with the gym and then put on your normal, one of the seven items. So it was great. And I, uh, like I said, I, I talk about the lessons I learned in that and some of the beauty that, that comes from it when you actually simplify your life. And for us, especially living here in America, we have so many options and we have so many things, it's kind of nice to simplify it out and kind of see how God's going to speak into that. He speaks into the spaces that we make available. It's not that he's not here. It's that we just don't make space. And I bet you chose those seven items very, very carefully. (laughs) I did. And that was another great... uh, It was something really good. I realized I had a lot of excess items that I really don't want or need. And I was looking through my closet after after that month of doing the closet challenge and being like, wow, I have spent a lot of extra time and money that could be going to someone else who has nothing on clothing that I don't even wear anymore. And it became very, very real to me. And I I looked at all the clothing that I really had not worn in over a year. I added up what I thought I spent on it, what I could remember. And I was heartbroken uh, and frustrated with myself. I thought, you know, this could go, I, I work with a nonprofit called Haiti 180. And I said, this could have, this could have helped build a well. I mean, that's, I just can't live like that anymore. And so that closet challenge really went beyond the closet and it began to change a lot of aspects of my life with my goods and with the money that he allows me to to make in this world that I can do good for others with it too. You know what I really, really want to challenge you as listeners is there have been two things that we've talked about that are incredibly significant. And one is to to practice silence. And that doesn't mean just like become a monk and go in the hills and and disappear. But I would challenge everybody to go off all social media, turn off the cell phone for three days. I mean, maybe just start with a day. But I found when I did that, it was wonderful. At first, I was like, what am I going to do? But then afterwards, it was so freeing. And then the, the closet challenge is another one. If anyone listening does that, please write me at reframingministries at insight.org or connect with Leah because I want to hear what came from that and what came from your soul as a result of inviting Christ to fill the places that you were using um, this world's stuff 
to fill those places. Yeah. And I would encourage you if, if, if seven items of clothing in 30 days sounds daunting, and if it sounds like, I don't know if I can do it, that's exactly why you should do it. Yeah. The more exactly why you should, the more resistant we are is probably means the more we need to do it. Yeah. And God's going to do something very beautiful in that space. If, if there's resistance there, if there's fear there, trust me, that's the enemy trying to creep in and he does creep. So banish that, go for it, do it, get, get prepared, do it. And, and, and just allow God to do something really amazing. As we close, Leah, will you just speak to speak words of encouragement to um, women and men? Because as I did my studies, um, 40 to 50 percent of men are affected by social media as well. Um, speak into their lives as they are feeling maybe empty or lost or in search of value and speak hope into their hearts. Well, if you are there, if you're in that space where, as our Colleen just said, if you're just um, lost or scared or frozen, um, you have fear that's gripping you. Or maybe you just don't know how to stop doing that thing that's just not good for you. And you don't know where to go or what to do. Um, one, I just want to tell you, I, I know. I know where you're at. I know deeply where you're at. I've been there. And it is lonely and it is scary. And you have a right to feel those things. And it's all right to not be okay. But it's not okay not to do anything about it. There is hope. And as Christians, we know that hope has a face and hope has a name, and that is Jesus Christ. And as I'm sure that you've been told, Jesus Christ did die for you. He did. But never, never forget, my friends, that Jesus Christ rose for you. He rose for you. He pulled back that stone for you. He rose from the dead. He crushed sin. He broke those gates. He has allowed a place of welcome for you that will come for you. And I encourage you to step out of the cave, step out of that tomb that you are currently in of darkness, to step into the light of the resurrection and live with Christ, accept Christ in your life. If you've done it before, do it again and keep on doing it till the end because that's all we have and that's all we need is Christ alone. Amen. I have nothing else to say because Leah, that is it. Um, thank you for sharing your heart and for opening up and talking about past things that have been challenging, areas where you feel like you have failed. In our house, we don't use the word failure. We say, well, we just learned something else that doesn't work. <laughs> Let's try a different way. Um, and I will also put into our notes how we can get a hold of you. But right now, if you want to just say, Leah, how can people connect with you? Sure, of course. Yeah, you can connect with me. I'm, I'm available um, on all the social media avenues out there. I'm, I'm at leahdarrow.com. On Instagram, I'm at leah.darrow. Twitter, at leahdarrow. So go ahead and find me. Reach out to me. I would love to uh, connect with you and say hello. And if you need anything, I'm happy to serve you as well. That's wonderful. Okay, and Leah Darrow, spell that out for us. because Sure. That's L-E-A-H-D-A-R-O-W. A-R-R-O-W.com. I spelled it right, and I didn't have a spell check. I'm thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you've been listening to this podcast through Reframing Ministries with Insight for a Living, I want to encourage you to connect with us as well. If, um, if physically you are feeling empty, 
Uh, you are making choices that you don't want to make anymore and you don't know where to go. Please connect with us at reframingministries at insight.org. And we would love to talk with you and listen to you as well. And Leah, you have got those four babies, so I'm going to let you get back to them. <laughs> Thank you so much. And thanks for having me. I really do appreciate it. Thank it's been you. wonderful talking with you. Thank you for sharing your story and your life. I appreciate it. Amen. God bless. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again for spending time with me on the Reframing Ministries podcast today. You can get the show notes and other information on our website, reframingministries.com. If you like the show, we would love for you to share it with your family, friends, or someone you know who would be encouraged by it. In addition, it would be helpful to take a few seconds to rate and review this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to your podcast today. Your input will really help us get the word out, and I would be so thankful. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries. Until next time, remember, your best life is yet to come.